Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. I find myself walking about the Barnett Estates and this song comes to my mind quite often. Yep, I'll be walking around my yard, maybe doing some chores, tending to animals, and uh, I'll think about some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Oh, you mean this particular song? I thought you were getting ready to say... Like, uh, another song? Yeah. Like, oh, well, I have a lot of those too, but uh, I was referring to this one. Well, makes sense. I mean, especially Sergeant Carter crowing so boisterously at the beginning, some golden daybreak, it just... It stirs the soul. Well, and the Sergeant Carter is usually out pecking around my yard. Crowing boisterously? Uh, Yeah, well, he does crow quite a bit. And, of course, the population of fowl have increased around the Barnett um, Estates. Yeah, it sounds like Barnett Estates has gone to the birds. Yes, it has. It's a fowl thing. (laughs) But anyway, uh, well, welcome back. Welcome back to Daybreak Devotions. I hope that your day has broken very wonderfully as you join us here on the radio today, this is Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell. We hail from the McLeansville Baptist Church. In McLeansville, North Carolina. Well, we are uh, we're journeying on the road to Pentecost, and frankly, this being Thursday, we're about to get there, because I think Friday, we're just, we're just about to uh, close out everything and, and go right into Acts chapter 2 tomorrow. We are going to have a Friday fun day Pentecostally. It's going to be a Pentecostal Friday tomorrow (laughs) on Daybreak Devotions. So buckle up and stay tuned. So for all of you out there, Church of God and Holiness Churches that that listen to the podcast and broadcast, whatever cast you happen to be lending your ear toward, tomorrow is going to be special for you. That's right. Tonight, this is a side note, but something to be excited about. Tonight's our final gathering for our... A discipleship class mm-hmm. we've been doing, Resilient. Yes. And we've had 15 folks in our church that have gone through this. Five weeks we've spent together, coming together once a week. So just a little, maybe a little plug to something. Some of you are out there thinking, man, how do I kick some energy back into the church? What can we do to help people grow? You know, sometimes you got to get out of the box. Yes. Sometimes you got to get out of the Sunday, Wednesday, or Thursday, whatever your midweek service is. you got to get out of that box and offer people a chance to go a little deeper, and that's what we've done. So you were a part of a group I hosted at the house Mm -hmm. two, three years ago, whatever it was, and we came together, and we would have a meal, and then we would go into the living room, and we would watch the video. We would do the Bible study thing together and have discussion, and then just the whole thing just surrounded with fellowship. Right. Good times. Yes. This is the first time we've done that that particular setting setting and approach. Yeah here uh, at the church property. And and so we'll be doing that. We have a meal together, and then after the meal, a little quick, brief cleanup, and then we all uh, run upstairs, and we have a uh, kind of some group discussion mm-hmm. to kick things off. We have a video that we're watching together to learn, and then we have follow-on discussion afterwards, and it's been very helpful, very encouraging uh, for the people that have been there. The, the value of that, the, the discussion aspect of it, you you can't quantify it until you've participated in it, 
because we come to church and we learn together in Sunday school messages and things like that. But then to have the opportunity to kind of, for lack of better terms, spitball that back and forth some uh, is is beneficial in a large way. Sorry, I was hearing something buzz, but it's mine. I'm hearing it too, Woody. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was funny. hey That ought to make the cut. We'll leave it. (laughs) Okay, anyway. Well, speaking of groups in the church getting together, that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 1 as we are on uh, on the eve, not literally in terms of day counting, but for us, at least, in mm-hmm. our in our walking through this, this is the uh, the last portion before we get to the day of Pentecost in Acts two. So Acts chapter one, and I want to read this, and then we'll we'll kind of break this down today. There are, as has been true over this study, there are verses here that are not as not as often referenced, maybe preached from or taught out of, and I'm sure they have been. We all are familiar with them. But there's just these little nuggets hidden in these, these little gems hidden inside these verses that we can lift out, and I, I want to try to do that today. So here it is now. Jesus has ascended, and they've returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And it says, and when they were come, verse 13 is where I'm starting, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. But notice verse 14. This is where I want to start today. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So what are they doing as they gather here in the upper room and they're waiting? Now, they've been told by Jesus to wait until they be are endued with power from on high. Now, here's the interesting thing. We know how long they're going to wait. I don't know if they knew how long they were going to have to wait. Now, I think there's evidence in Scripture, like I think if they they may have known that Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, that that was when things were going to happen, but chances are they had no long idea how long they would have to wait. But notice what they're doing. They are unified in prayer while they are waiting. And so, you know, verse 14 says that they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So while they're waiting, they are praying. Yeah. And that, that's not just significant because, oh, well, great, that's what Christians ought to do is pray. I was thinking about why that mattered, and I wrote down four things that I, I think why this unity in prayer mattered to them specifically. And I think all of it relates to us today as to why the church should still be unified in our praying. So the first thing I wrote down, it, it was keeping them focused on Jesus' promise. Imagine had they just wandered back to Jerusalem not really sure when this promise is going to happen, so let's all just get back to life. They would have been, you know, apart. They would have been doing their own things. They would have been focused on all their responsibilities, getting life back together. But by unifying in prayer, in what turned into a 10-day prayer meeting, they are focused on the promise Jesus had made to them. When the church does not pray together, we will tend to lose our at least cooperative focus on the promises of Jesus, most importantly in this hour we're living in, the promise of his coming again. Sure, because to the point that you're making, when we lose the aspect of of collective prayer together, we cease to be one unit and, and one organism that is coming together, and instead we're a bunch of individuals bringing our individual lives, our individual thoughts, 
our individual distractions. Like an all-star team in the NBA. Exactly. You know, we're, we're a bunch of eyes that are coming together because, well, we're supposed to come together. The aspect of prayer is what brings us all together on the same page in the same wavelength to really be a unified team that is that's that's tackling something together. It's 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 now active participation from everybody going towards the same goal and objective. And just one final word on that part, if we were to break it down and do an evaluation of when the church comes together, how much of it is actually given to prayer. Yeah. Now, there's different ways of looking at that. One basic way of looking at that is how much actual ticks of the clock, how many minutes are we literally bowed or kneeling and someone's leading us or we're as a group actually praying. Those numbers would be very small, and I don't think that's acceptable, Right. but it's what's happened over a long period of time, okay? That's one way of looking at it, and we can work on that. We could work on committing more time to prayer, and that's something that has to be worked on from the pastor on down, and there's lots of things, variables and things to consider, right? Most of it is just getting out of the ruts of the way we do things. Sure. Okay. But there's another way to look at this thing of, of corporate prayer, and that is if we can learn as a church to really from the heart see that our singing is prayer, that the preaching is prayer. Now, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute, preacher. What do you mean by that? Well, I want to say this that when I am, if I'm I know when I'm preaching that it is a it is an outflow of the praying I've been doing. But when I'm listening to preaching, I am engaging in communion and thoughts about God, with mm -hmm. God, and to God, which is the essence of prayer. So when you think about it, the old school term of prayer meeting really should be the de the definition of every time the church meets corporately. Yes, and I think, again, we go back to that word that you and I have both used, active. If I'm just sitting in a church service, whether it's the singing or the preaching, if I'm just a spectator, I'm just, you know, an observer, that's not that's not prayer because I'm just I'm a bystander. But when I am engaged with the song service to where my heart is being drawn to Christ and in the preaching service when I am engaged and actively listening, now all of a sudden, this is something that though I may not be up there singing or I may not be up there preaching, I am doing alongside of the person that is actually leading in those things. So the second reason I wrote down that this unity in prayer matters is because it's keeping them strong in their faith. And what I mean by that is it's keeping them peaceful. Mm -hmm. They are not being disrupted and disturbed by all the unknowns. Now, they had been. They had been very disturbed in the days prior. Um, you know, And now, now this coming together in prayer and being together in prayer keeps a spirit of peace in the atmosphere, which is very important. And the church needs that now, and we're going to need that more and more, especially here in the, the church in the U.S., because we are moving toward a time of a lot of disruption in the things we've kind of began to take for granted over the last generations that won't always be there. And we can get very disturbed, so the role of unity in prayer is important for that reason. Sure. Thirdly, it's solidifying the fellowship among them that had suffered some over the last weeks. And you think about, uh, you know, Judas betrayed him. He's betrayed Jesus. He's gone. Thomas and the doubting time that he went through and not being at gathering sometimes. Um, you know, the seven disciples that were there at the Sea of Galilee. I mean, we don't know what everybody else was doing, but the point is, is they were not all together. Right. 
and there was this brokenness in the fellowship for various reasons. But now all of them are together in, in one accord. And when a church unites in prayer, this will solidify the fellowship. This keeps us all together. Matter of fact, there's 120 of them that are gathered there now, and I got to thinking about that. Who all would that include? And, of course, it tells us the disciples. It tells us the Marys. I don't know how many Marys. There are several. Uh, maybe Martha and Lazarus were there. Maybe Nicodemus was there. Maybe Bartimaeus. Maybe Zacchaeus. Uh, who else? Who, who, you got all these people we can think yeah, of. Yeah, you got Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, there, there's a lot of people just in the limited amount of, of the life of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. He made a drastic impact on a lot that are recorded in the New Testament, and we know by John's testimony there was a whole lot more that took place that mm-hmm. wasn't recorded. So the possibilities truly are endless of who this 120 could be. But 120 of them all together. So the fourth reason I think this unity in prayer mattered then and matters now is it becomes their way to receive from Christ. Now, if you think about it, for three years, three and a half years or so, they have walked side by side with Jesus. They were literally, in some sense, in a form of prayer with him in a physical way. But now they are having to learn this role of prayer that Jesus has been teaching them about. And by the way, one of the most common topics, one of the one of the, the, the largest body of teaching Jesus presented, both in words that he said and in his actions, was prayer. Sure. And so they're learning now, this is how we receive from Christ. This is how we're going to operate moving forward. And it's evident in this chapter, in this passage we're reading today. So number one, the unity in prayer is a big thing here on this final section before Pentecost. They didn't need Pentecost to be unified in prayer, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but it's, of course, that's only going to enhance it. Now, moving to verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120, and men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. I want to just make the point here that I have in my notes and then uh, look, look to any commentary or thoughts that you have in this section. But what you have here is the rise of Peter. Okay, and that's significant. I like the phrase, and in those days, Peter stood up. And that could be an overlooked, very important point right there. Because if you think about, uh, in reality, Peter's been very quiet, very unlike Peter. Mm -hmm. And the only words we have of Peter outside of him saying, Lord, you know that I love you. The only other words we have of Peter are, uh, one, I go a fishing. And the other one was... What is he going to do? Talking yeah. about John. So you, you get kind of Peter still missing it, right? But now I think not only is this a physical action, but it, it represents the change in Peter, that Peter stands up in the middle of all of them, and he's now taking that role as the rock mm-hmm. that Jesus said that he would be. And, uh, and I think that's the result of three things. Peter. Why did this happen? Number one, it was the result of Jesus' confirmation. If Jesus had not come to Peter on that Sea of Galilee shore, pulled him aside and confirmed Peter, this wouldn't have happened, but that mattered. Secondly, the disciples' communion mattered in this. They are together, and that is building in Peter, I think, courage. He's seeing, we talked about affirmation earlier, he's getting affirmation from his brothers and sisters that are willing to gather with him. Hey, he's not being rejected. He's not being despised. Matter of fact, how many of them even knew what had happened that night by this time? Maybe all of them, maybe none of them at this point. But maybe he's only confided in a few. But the, the fact is, 
Think about David in, in the cave of Adullam. It was the surrounding, the coming together of brothers and sisters that gave him that encouragement to move on. So Jesus' confirmation, the disciples' communion, and then Peter's just Peter's conversion. There, this is what Jesus had predicted. He said, Peter, you're going to fail me, but when you're converted, strengthen your brethren, and that's what's happening here. It is a significant moment. Yeah. You see, you see Peter embracing who Jesus always knew Peter was going to become. And I think that is such an encouraging thing for us to apply as well. We know Jesus sees the end result in our life. He knows who he is making us into. And there should come a point in time in all of our walks with the Lord that we embrace what Jesus is molding us into to where now not only is this just in theory of what we could become, but it's it's total acceptance of, no, you know what, Lord, this is what you have made me to be, and I receive that, and I own that, and I'm going to act on the work that you have been doing in my life for you to continue doing that work. And how many of us could not use that kind of encouragement on a regular basis? Sure. Because Peter's going to be like anybody else as time goes along. He'll have times when he's not feeling it. I don't I don't want to say backsliding, but he's going to, I'm sure he's going to have times where he's uh, just not the Peter he is in this moment. But just to keep on being reminded and yeah. in the same ways, and it works for us the same way. The confirmation that, that, that Jesus gives us in our own heart, the brethren around us, that communion that encourages us and strengthens us, and then just the conversion, the ongoing conversion of our life, right? This is not a one-time thing. Right. This is an ongoing activity of God transforming us, and so we all need to hear that and be reminded of it. Now, I have one more thing I wanted to get to, and that's the how they select the proven one, but uh, you were mentioning how you enjoyed the uh, graphic description of uh, Judas's death. Well, I, I guess I just love Peter's bluntness and boldness because I think you see some of the heart of the betrayal that they felt as well because I think all of them would have considered Judas a friend. He was a co-laborer that traveled with them for years. So as much as Jesus took the betrayal personally, I think you see some of that as well. And then... When, when, Peter, when Peter says, men and brethren, uh, the scripture must be fulfilled, and then he says in verse 18, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. So he owns up. Yep, this, this is what he did. He got iniquity. This was his just reward. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the mist, and all his bowels gushed out. And there's no pulling of punches. In other words, the way we'd say it today, some, there was a slip of the rope. He fell head first, and he busted a gut. Yep, exactly. This uh this made what happened to Jack and Jill going up that hill look like you know a children's nursery rhyme, but I, I guess my takeaway from it is just it was addressed. Peter said, "Look, this is why we're here today. This is why we're getting ready to make this selection. Let's call it for what it is. Let's pull no punches. But now, let's move on." And you don't read any more of Judas being referred to or talked about. It was dealt with. It was done. This happened. But now there's still work to be done. Well, one of the things that you'll notice is in Peter's now strong leadership as he stands up, he's taking a biblical stand. As you said, he's mm -hmm. quoting Scripture. That's important. And he also has this leadership standard that he puts out. And he says, you know, we must find someone to take this. And he gives the guidance on that. He says, someone who, beginning from the baptism of John, verse 22, and under that same day that he was taken up from us, 
must be one ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So he mentions the baptism, the uh, resurrection, and the ascension. So that whole period, he says, in other words, we want somebody who not only has witnessed it all, but he's, he's certainly implying someone that was with us, someone yep. who is a part of this fellowship. And I like the standard here. Not just anyone should be put in this position, and not just a good guy should be put in this position. Yep. How many times have we hurt the church because we put good men, you know, hey, he's a good guy, into positions of spiritual leadership. That is not what the church did. They didn't need Pentecost to know yeah. to do the right thing here. And and we mess up when we don't hold to that standard. Peter set a standard for us here on that day. And these two guys, they proved it because they had been there. They had stood the test of time. And so they had earned some of the trustworthiness of the rest of the disciples here. Well, the last thing to point out is one that, you know, we could take a lot of time to talk about, but since we don't have any time, we won't. And we'll leave everybody to use their imaginations. But that's the selection of the proven. And uh, I use that word because in a rare act today on Daybreak Devotions, I had three points alliterated. Ooh. The unity in prayer, the rise of Peter, and the selection of the proven. And I use that word, though, because he says it must be one who has proven himself in all of this time, proven himself as one of us. And... Uh, how do they go about picking them? Of course, they got two guys, Justice and Matthias. Is that how you say it? Or Matthias? I would say Matthias. Matthias? Oh, well, either way, we'll call him Matty. So you got Justice and Matty. And uh, they come down to these two out of the hundred and some that are there that day. And the way they have to decide then is not our normal way of deciding today, perhaps, or is it? Now, what I mean by that is it says, verse 24, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen, that he may take the part of Judas. I summarize that. And verse 26, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matty, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, that's Matty with two T's. Got it. And, uh, and an I-E. And so this we have here is lot casting. Mm -hmm. All right, so what is lot casting? Now, some people say that, and there's there's a, there's a lot of opinion about this. You actually were saying before we started that the disciples were gambling. Sort of in jest, but you could make the argument. Yes, and some people say, you know, well, this is what that, the one thing that everybody agrees on, though, the disciples are not gambling, nor are they encouraging gambling. Correct. But it resembles what you were describing is the game of chance. Like mm -hmm. you said, they there was pretty high stakes on the outcome of this. That I think everybody would agree on. But where they do, where they divide on is was this more of a vote or more of a game of chance? And and I, I guess game of chance is not the right phrase, but more of a chance thing. So in other words, a lot of people say that as an act of voting that they would use pebbles, black pebbles and white pebbles, and they would select, you know, Kind of like on the Andy Griffith show when Howard was going to join the lodge and he got blackballed. Ooh. Yep. Turns out it was, uh, spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you. You have to watch and see. Oh. But anyway, coming back to where we're at, the other thought is that this was more of a drawing type thing. And I think of like, like, uh, you know, in, like a bingo thing where oh. you reach in or could be like the, the lottery thing where you reach in. So that's where you get the idea of more of the chance. Now, the way they would have done the lots, um, this is based on reading about 
you know, three that agreed on this. But they would take pieces of wood and they would write the names on there and they would put it in an urn, a vessel of some sort, and they would shake it until one of them, whichever one came out first, and that would be the one that they would. But here's the thing. Whatever they did, whether it was a vote or whether it was some chance thing that they were doing, here's the real method, verse 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. They committed this thing to prayer, which takes us back to the beginning, this unity in prayer, and they were trusting God to lead them in it. We hope that you have enjoyed uh, thus far of the path to Pentecost. Stick with us tomorrow. Or the road to Pentecost. Path to Pentecost, road to Pentecost. We hope you've enjoyed it so far, but join with us tomorrow because we will be in Pentecost. Have a great remainder of your day. Thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.